This is a conversation that starts and ends with the heart. But in between, we touch on the taboos of mothers wanting time away from their children, female masturbation and sexual pleasure, and the very real and deep pain of self-hatred. Lisa Winicky is the founder and host of The Good News Guide, a podcast host, speaker, author, and truth seeker with qualifications in numerous energy modalities. Lisa has mined the depths and pain of her own decades of living with an eating disorder, feeling alone and misplaced in her family and later at school, and the eternal search to find the salve to her suffering. Lisa has now come to a place where she's no longer trying to fix herself, but simply sit still and live with love. Here's our conversation with Lisa. I know we've got questions, but that is an important point that you raised when you sat down. So I'm going to start there. You sat down and you said, I'm happy to be in a position where people lead and ask me questions instead of me driving the the process. Mm. How many humans do you think feel like that? I think the majority of people do it unknowingly until you get to a point where, like when I sat down today, I mean, I'm aware of it, but when I sat down today, it's like, I'm always leading, leading as a mother, leading as my own person, leading the good news guide, leading that to actually be led and to have somebody guide you is such a sense of relief. And it's a matter of asking mm. Mm. and communicating what it is that we need. Mm. Are you comfortable being led Do, when you're so used to leading yourself and being in control or driving? What does it feel like then to sit back? <laughs> Beautiful. If, if you'd asked me that, I don't know, a year or two ago or three years ago or 20 years ago, no, because I was so... I was clinging on for every, to everything and I was so in control of everything. But right now it doesn't, it doesn't mean, you know, there's, there's, there's no story attached to another person leading me. It just means that I'm, I, I'm allowing and actually receiving, receiving another person's support, um, receiving another person's guidance. It's actually a really... It's a relief. We're not taught to receive. Mm. Women... Or mothers or I don't or humans. Humans. To actually, what does it feel like to receive? Receive love, receive support, receive another person's presence. Is it, do you think, you know, you can't take in love if you haven't loved yourself because you don't recognise that thing that's totally been given? Because, it, you know, then it comes down to where... Well, what does the psychologist think of that? <laughs> I'm, I'm actually now going to go backwards before we before we go forwards, but I just felt that we couldn't launch into this conversation without acknowledging the energy and the depletion that mm. you've brought to the table today. Mm. And it's partly because I feel it too. And I know that if you're feeling it and I'm feeling it and I think you feel it at times, I don't know if today's one of those times. Not today, but but of course, yeah, sometimes things will tumble then, and hurtle out of control. Yeah, and then let's yeah. call it, you know, yeah. let's call it. But but let's go back, Lace, because um, for those listeners who don't know anything about you, you're an author, you're a mentor, you're a founder, you're a survivor, you're a truth teller, you're a storyteller, you're a mother, you're but but who do you identify Lisa Winicky as being? Wow. Well, that is 
the thing that we're all looking for, isn't it? It's the question we're all trying to answer. And who I am today is different to who I was yesterday, two weeks ago, a year ago, 15 years ago. So my identity, who I identify as, I'm not so attached to that anymore. I'm more identify with something that's a greater aspect of me. What do you mean by that? So the essence of who I was before I came into a body. What, and what do you mean by that? Can you just unpack so, that So who I am at the core of me. You know, what is my unique expression? Well, our unique expression, everyone is the same and that is we're a unique expression of love. And so I'm more committed to identifying with that, to that expression, to connect in with the truth of that. So rather than, okay, what does, what, who am I as a mum? Well, because when we get caught up with that, there are so many stories attached to who I am as a mother, who I am as a partner, who I am as a as a founder, who I am as a leader. But when I come back to that core of who I am, that's what I want to be identified with. Because that's when life for me has become um, a space where it, <laughs> it flows more effortlessly and I have deeper connections with people the way I want to experience my relationships are thriving as opposed to, yeah, there's, there's so much. But it's an extraordinary question because I think that was what happened for me in, in you know, throughout that, what took me into the eating disorder were all the stories that I had with the identity that I had attached to that. And so I now know the stories, those things that go on in our head, the stories that we create for ourselves in all of our roles are actually the form, our greatest forms of suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, who's the philosopher who says the stories we tell ourselves make us who we are? Mm. So sometimes stories don't serve us at all. They're a long way away from whoever that person is mm. inside. Do you mind if we talk a bit about your um, eating disorder? Yeah. You, you've talked about um, that your teenage years weren't that easy for you and you're expelled from school and um, often felt a, like a bit of an outsider. Can you tell us a bit about that time for you? Mm. It's, a, you know, when you have changed so much, like I, the woman that sits here now is such a different, I feel I can't actually, I look back at that time and I can't actually often tap into that person because I'm my state of being, how I feel about life is, it is that seems so unfamiliar and so far removed. What I will say is, she was a girl that felt misunderstood, felt unseen, felt unloved. Was that truth? No, my parents loved me, but because of who I was, I was bold. You know, I I, I said what I felt. I was deep, like I was a deeply reflective child. You know, I remember lying on my bed when I was really young, you know, it was maybe four or five. And I was remember thinking, why am I here? Why is Lisa here on this earth? How did I end up with this family? So all of this sort of deeply reflective person that really my parents did the best that they could, but both of them, for whatever reason, were not fully present. So my mum emotionally 
I didn't feel was present. She did an extraordinary job. We talk about it all the time. I love her dearly. My dad was away a lot and he was a disciplinarian. So when he came home, I was disciplined. And because I was highly sensitive and highly intuitive, I take took it to mean that there was something drastically wrong with me. And that played out and then we moved to Australia from Singapore and all the stories. <laughs> so when I look back at that time of not of feeling left out, I created that. I didn't feel part of my family and therefore what those that story then played out was more and more stories to reinforce the belief. It was my belief. It wasn't truth. But it was my reality. It was a reality I kept kept recreating even to the point that I got thrown out of schools to prove that I didn't belong. It's extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And yet so common and you've articulated it so beautifully that that the family template follows us unless we challenge it otherwise and and question the stories we tell ourselves. Mm. Do you think you just said something that parents aren't, uh, your parents weren't present, you said for whatever reason not fully present. Have you met a fully present parent? Yes, I have. Wow. In my work, yeah. What do you mean by fully present? I don't believe we can be fully present when we are not recognising that we bring our wounds into our relationship with our kids. And only when we can overcome them, liberate from them, learn from them, not project them onto our kids, can we be present? Because otherwise we're always coming through the lens of our pain. Mm. We're always behaving through that. So the person you're thinking of, Mm. are they pain-free? She is completely committed every single moment, every single day to doing what needs to be done. She made a choice that before she even became a parent, am I in a position, not in a perfect place, but am I in a position where I am so committed to being the parent that is fully present and is is consciously parenting for this child to be a full expression of themselves, not based on anything I need from them. Except, uh, can is I challenge subjugating that? themselves then? Are they, is there unrealised parts of themselves? They're subjugating their needs f- completely for the child or is there? She's, no, she, she's thriving. She has a partner, she has a husband who is parenting. So, no, no, she doesn't forego her own needs. But when she's in reaction or trigger, she takes responsibility for it and, mm. and, and corrects it and clears it and then we'll have a conversation with it. So it's not that she's, she doesn't get triggered, but she takes those opportunities to learn from it and to liberate from it. And take responsibility for her own wounds. You, That's right. When you said that, um, there was something actually, Sabina, that was on your Instagram recently. See, I do use social media. Oh, and you're following um, me. I'm following and I'm actually, <laughs> going to, I'm actually going to quote you as well. And it was Teresa Shanti, have I yeah. said her surname? And it is... To my children, I'm sorry for the unhealed parts of me that in turn hurt you. It was never a lack of love for you, only a lack of love for myself. Mm. I read it too Mm. and I loved it and it reminded me of my friend, Yumi Mm. Newman, who is the person I'm talking about. Mm. She's one of the experts on the Good News Guide and we actually have very parallel lives, strangely enough. And she she uses this um, uh, scale where she says, on a scale of zero to ten, how how understood, seen, and loved did you feel? Mm-hmm. And then she then she asks you to step into your parent shoes, and how 
how much did they love themselves? Mm-hmm. And there's a direct correlation because how much the parent loved themselves is how much how able they are then to see, understand, and love you, mm. which is the same. Mm. I just love it. I think um, I think I struggle with the idea that any parent or human can be wound free. You're not saying she's wound free. She, you're saying she's a self aware and has the the tools in her kit to heal the wounds or you know manage the wounds. Mm. Absolutely not. But still not, not always. A, no, no, no. You, uh, no, because we're, it's a con- it's a constant unfolding. Mm, it's mm. a never ending mm. process. So. And it's not a never-ending process like it's more work. It's just a never-ending process of coming back to wholeness. Yes. And I wonder if wholeness with all your broken parts um, as well, you know, the whole is never a perfect form. Loving loving it all into wholeness essentially. Mm. And, you know, Mads laughs, one of the phrases I often use is the repeat or repel that families do over generations. And I wonder if the person you're talking about, if their child will say when the child grows up, oh, my mum was fully present, 100%, you know, or if the child will say something, you know, what do you think? I I don't want it to be about the person you're talking about but more about this idea. And that what I want to say is and there's no, that's where we let go. Mm. There's no attachment to what that means. It's I'm going to parent, I'm going to be the most present parent Mm. and how that shows up for my kids I have no control over. Yeah, yeah. There's none because yeah. their lens in which they experience yeah. things are we're not them. So talk to us about you as a mother. <laughs> <laughs> me as a mother now or me, okay, so. I'm You're a mother this, of three boys. Yeah, I'm going to share something which I only shared last week with my partner when my boys went back to my ex-husband's and we were lying in bed and I said, do you know this is the first week that I have not <laughs> counted down the days <laughs> until they go back? I went, wow, how? Not how terrible is that, not what a horrible mum, but that's where I've been because when you are in pain and you have kids, they're there. <laughs> they're the little You can't mirrors. run away. Yeah. All your pain is coming right back at you. So, um, and there was a part, I mean, I found motherhood hard. I've shared that with you. Mm. And because I thought I was all, there was so much guilt. I always thought that I should be doing something differently. Um, You know, I was, yeah, I was a master of self, you know, I self-flagellated a lot. It was like, you're not doing this correct. And I I have had a a pattern of comparing. So I'd see other mothers doing what they were doing and I'd compare and I never measured up. But to lie in bed and to to actually own that and acknowledge that, there wasn't, as I said, there wasn't a feeling of guilt or what a horrible parent. But I was like, wow, Lisa, good on you. Look how far you've come. For acknowledging, for feeling, for recognising. Yeah, for recognising where I've come from, that I can now feel that, that I can now want them to be around, that I can now enjoy them the way I wanted to enjoy them. Mm. But obviously you were going through, you know, a marriage breakup and and trying to carry all of that Um, and so it kind of makes sense that you would want time to yourself to heal because it's really Mm. hard to do that when you're 
well, I speak, I've got four kids and speak from my own experience as a mother that you're scooped out a lot. Mm. You know, in terms of the hierarchy of needs, you, you can often drop very quickly to the bottom of that in the mm. face of their needs and mm. it's really hard to make a case for yourself to say, hang on, guys, I, I need to come up the hierarchy a bit uh, in spite of your need. Mm. And so, um, yeah, it, it's completely understandable that you were looking for those spaces to try and heal yourself on mm. your own. But I feel like it was even, it was well before that. So it was that I have one one of my boys who is, you know, he's, he's gone through a lot of stuff and so his pain would trigger my pain. And so, and I, I wasn't comfortable with that because if we're not, if we've still got our own stuff going on inside, then when that, we, we try to fix it or we try to run away. Or for me it was like I just want to get out of this. I don't want to be feeling this. And so when he wasn't in my presence it was okay because I didn't have to feel it. So the, it's been it, so the last year and a half since I separated, I've had an extraordinary opportunity to come into greater presence of self and to look at healing even more of those deeper wounds, so that I can be with my boys when they're in their own pain and they're in, they're in their own anger. And I'm not saying it's all the time, but I can allow them to be in that without them needing to do something for me to feel better or for me to actually have to remove myself from the house or for them to for me to be okay and that's huge you know I my youngest um being you know he he just didn't he blocked me 8th of March last year when we told the boys he blocked me didn't want to bar of me hated me would not let he went from being this child that wanted to touch me cuddle me and he would not let me anywhere near him would slam the door in his room every night when he went to bed was it hard oh so hard and then two weeks ago he came out of the bathroom on a Saturday morning and he put his arms out for the first time. And I was, look at me, mm. <laughs> I feel like the more I've opened up to, open my heart up to the joy, the wonders of the world, like I'm just like I cry all the time. And not from sadness, just pure, like it is extraordinary what happens when you do connect and and look after you and allow another person to have their experience without you needing it to be a different way and so I allowed him to be in his anger I allowed him to be in his rage not all the time but when I did the more I'm more it's allowed him to grieve in the way that he's needed to grieve you know to be to be angry and to feel rage at me because you know I made the choice and he knew that without even knowing made the choice to leave the marriage yeah because he just is so intuitive and kids are they just need it. they know so that's been extraordinary mm. and yet today you've sat down and said i feel depleted i'm taking on too much so yeah you like all of us there's this sort of mm. cycle of coming back to yourself and then losing yourself and then being overwhelmed and then coming back to yourself yeah it's that it's that i want to use the word you know we abandon ourselves when we don't listen and so um you know I, I I wasn't even aware like you know I'm, I love what I do I love being in conversation with the people I'm in conversation with it's extraordinary it lights me up and I also need time mm. but I didn't really realize it until somebody looked at me and said I think you, and it was somebody we <laughs> who embodies compassion and she said I think you need a rest mm. and I was like you know that permission mm. that we often don't give ourselves? And I went, oh, 
And that's why you're happy for us to lead today. Yeah. Mm. Take us back. You wrote the book, The Dawn of Hope, in 2017, which was focused on your couple of decades living with an eating disorder, Mm. but it was so much more than a story about Mm. um, disordered eating. Mm. What's relevant about that book now for (laughs) you? It's so funny because I reclaimed all those books. And so one of my coaches recently, he was trying to find it, He's like, where is it? And I said, no, no, it's not available. And he said, and I went, oh, my God, the reason I reclaimed it is because I'm no longer that person. Ah. I'm more evolved. <laughs> you physically reclaimed? I literally so took this them all is, back. So I'm, I've got them all in my house. Except recently, after that call, I was like, oh, my goodness, Lisa, who are you? This is a journey. And you're going to, there are billions of people in the world that could benefit from this book so what because you know more you you're no longer because we're forever we're forever becoming more of Mm. our true nature Mm. were you trying to erase that story or just like what what was going on there with not wanting to carry that forward with you okay so there are a couple of things firstly the book didn't meet my expectations so I wanted it to get out into the world but now I realize it didn't get out into the world because I actually didn't believe it was that great so I created that situation, that reality for myself, and now I'm, I've opened it. It's like I, I'm happy to give them all away. I want people to, whoever's going to benefit from it, and they can, because I know from the people that have responded, and not even that, I know from me that some of the key things in this book are things that we don't practice. What were some of the key things that were in that story, in that book? Um, Recognising that... Compassion is at the foundation of really any change. Forgiveness, massive, massive self-forgiveness and a continuing practice of coming back to forgive every little thing that we, you know, that we tell ourselves and then how that then spans out into being able to forgive somebody else. Not even it's (laughs) you realise you don't even need to forgive that person because you're able to step into their shoes and understand that they were doing their best in that time. So it just, it organically happens when that is something that you are practising. What do you think you were trying to forgive yourself for at the time that you engage with that story? (gasps) Forgive myself for hating myself. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, and that speaks to why you you don't want the book anymore. I think the book is what I'm realising has real relevance. That's my feeling inside, that there are people in the world that are going to benefit from it no matter – I'm not here. I don't need to make – I don't want to judge it. I, I, it's here. Hmm. The fact that I, I'm all about synchronicities and signs and messages and when this guy did that, when my coach asked me that question and I went in, I was like, why is that? And I went, oh, this is my ego because hmm. my ego wants to present myself as more evolved. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. therefore that's not where I come from. I don't make choices from that space. I make choices from love. What would love do? Love would have me bringing the book out into the world and Without an attachment. Hmm. 
it is what it is. It's there. Mm-hmm. It's available. And, yes, I will write probably another book, I'm sure, mm. about the next phase because with everything it's fa- it's like stages isn't it steps mm, like mm. <laughs> do you think we're always searching searching for meaning searching for understanding i want to say that really this year i i'm not i don't feel like i'm searching i feel like i've actually i've really come home to and i keep putting my hands on my heart cuz my heart like i have energy moving through my heart all the time now, you know, since I started doing these meditations, which are heart-based meditations, the energy that is inside of that, like around that all, it, it's it's my constant anchor. I just keep coming back. So from that place, there is there really is no searching. It's here. That's it's, your head? It's your head. You've yeah. talked about that pull between your head and your heart. Yeah. Can you unpack that a bit more? Like what, what is that there that's going on? Um, well... <laughs> You know, it's our heads, you know, we come into the world and we we, we disconnect from, from our hearts and we're, we're not conditioned to anchor into our hearts and what does your heart, you know, what's your heart have to say about this? And that's how, that, that, that is only going to lead us in the greatest direction of life for ourselves and anyone else around us. But... Because we're not educated, because we're not conditioned that way, we we forget. And so that's when, you know, we have 60 or 70,000 thoughts a day. And so, and we're trained to think, to think, to analyze, to work it out, to work it out. We're always trying to work it out. And from the level of working it out, we're never present. We're working it out based on our past. So it's never, it's never for us. It's always based steeped in our wounds and our suffering. So when we, like I found two years ago when I was on this meditation retreat and he said, come into your heart and feel into your heart and imagine, I was like, where is my heart? Hmm. It wasn't even, I couldn't even feel my heart. So two years on, it's been a practice every single day, numerous times a day. Okay, hand on my heart. I don't even have to anymore. It just, I feel the energy in that space. So does that answer your question? Mm, it, it does. Yeah, it's it's powerful stuff. You, you've also talked um, a bit about um, that it's it took you well into your forties to feel joy, joy as well. And this idea of joy, we know what it we think it is, but actually, what how does that feel for mm. us to feel that truly? And um, about your body being sort of addicted to feeling depressed mm. and sad and um, anxious or, or all mm. those things. How have you been able to transform or move yourself then from uh, where you were toward joy and heart? It's such a good question. I was thinking about this on the way here because, you know, we say I feel depressed and so we feel depressed because we've taught our bodies to feel a certain way. We're chemically addicted to the emotions which keep us anchored in the past and this is a lot of the work that I've done through Dr Joe Dispenza who's a neuroscientist and he talks about the science of our physiology and it becomes we become conditioned to feel a certain way so we become conditioned to feel like if we're addicted to frustration that was one of mine addicted to disappointment or addicted to anger or rage or addicted to sadness and the only way to choose to 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 change our physiology is not to think us our way out of it so a distinction then between, and you'd have a comment on this, between physiology and psychology per se, that actually the depression or the sadness is anchored in your physical form, not your It's not in our psych. bodies. We, you know, we, we don't say, I think depressed, I feel depressed. I feel. 
And often when we feel sad, it doesn't matter how much we do of thinking, the thinking doesn't get us out of feeling sad. And then actually when we think, that can sometimes create even more of a cycle where we can't get ourselves to feel better and so we feel even sadder. You can't think your way out of it. Yeah, what's your view, Sabina? Well, it's interesting because, um, I mean, there's so many schools of thought, I guess, cognitive behavioural therapy, mm. which is sort of best practice um, treatment approach in traditional psychology for mm. anxiety or depression is founded on the premise that thoughts impact the way you feel, the way you feel impacts the way you behave. It is a bi-directional relationship. That's well recognised. It's not one-way traffic. But the premise of CBT is that if you're able to challenge and change and shift your thinking, then the feeling will shift. Mm. Um, so but is it like neuroplasticity idea? There's a neuroplasticity sort of... piece to that, that you can change the neural pathways, which affects the way you feel. But I think what Lisa's saying is that it goes the other way well, no, can I, so what I've learnt, and, you know, it's not, there's no, I'm not saying that this is right, but it makes sense to me, mm. is the more we think something, the more we feel it. Mm-hmm. It's that thinking, I, feeling loop, yeah, right? Yeah. That when we think something so much, our body yes. learns to. The body keeps so, score. That so the, the body becomes actually, the mind becomes the body. Yes, yeah. It's like when you walk into a room or something, or something happens, you feel sad, you don't think, it's like. It's a feeling. Mm. And but then you go, what was I thinking? Yes. That that triggered that feeling. That is the premise of CBT, that you walk into a room and you think, I feel sad. But then if you're able to think, what to, to actually ask mm. yourself, what, what just went through my mm. head? Um, that I'm not good enough, that I don't belong here, mm. that these people don't want me to be here, whatever the thought was. And it can be so fleeting that you're mm. not even aware of it. Mm. Th- then the, the body response is so strong and you've missed the, um, the mental mm. cue but there is a thought process at play there. Of course. Yes. And so where do you want? Oh, no, I was going to say attached to the stories. Okay, attached so to the attached story. to the stories. So where, I, where I've gone is I no longer care about the stories. Yes. Because the stories are the stories. Yes. Right? So I can go in and go, okay, that I all I'm interested now in is if I've been triggered and I feel a certain way, what do I need to do to overcome the feeling? Because my body is it's like a drug addict. We yeah. become addicted to these yeah. feelings. And what do you what do? What do I need to do? So I will. So this is the practice of cultivating a different way of feeling, a different way of being, which I've spent years now meditating, using breath work to liberate old emotions. Dance and movement has been an extraordinary way to liberate, to get in touch with those feelings and to move through them, to discover the stories and actually to allow them to be and to bring compassion to self. But it's a process of training my body and cultivating and teaching it to feel a different way. Mm. So when somebody, a teacher over in Maui, went and studied A Course in Miracles with a friend of mine, Emma, um, six or seven years ago, and he said, we're running a business called The Joy Solution. I was like, you know, tell, tell me what what I need to do because, you know, it's not really going very well. He said, do what brings you joy. And I was like, <laughs> Are you? I was like, I was so pissed off because I did not know, one, what brought me joy. I had no idea what it felt like and I felt like I'd been showing up. And just to reiterate, because you, you sort of glossed over that quickly, you were running a business called The, the Joy, joy Solution. solution. <laughs> At a time when you were wondering what joy, what joy was. was. And it's like now the solution to joy is here. Mm. Is anchoring in yourself. Yeah. Mm. So 
to say that joy, joy, joy has been a process of cultivating and you, you know, from depression to feeling better mm. then now to know, like, I know my body knows joy because every single day, part of my morning ritual, which you talked about is I meditate and they're all heart, heart-based meditations. And he says, you know, Dr. Joe talks about, you know, um, feel, feel freedom. Like what does freedom feel like? Feel gratitude. Like we think gratitude, but what is it? And so it's learning. It's teaching your body to feel it. You practice it more and more, and then it's a matter of thinking gratitude and you feel it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So but if people who are listening wanted to explore further, you think Dr. Joe Dispenza's work would be a good first port of call? I think his is Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. That book is like a life changer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What are some of the other things that you have done to heal yourself across the journey? What's some of the apart from so you've got morning routine, um, his, his work? What are some of the other things that are really important for you now? Um, well, through the process, so my wake up call thirteen years ago was I went and saw a kinesiologist, and as a result, she's actually was became a very good friend of mine, and she passed away two years ago. She was a mentor, so I went and studied kinesiology. So that was a deep dive, um, three years of really healing. Then, um, and in all of that, I was traveling the world, going to different, being a nose like <laughs> so many different workshops, listening to so many people from around the world, retreats, books, copious books, podcasts. Were you but, trying to find a magic thing? Yeah, yeah. I was trying to fix. It was still through the lens of there was something to work out, something to fix. And that's why, really, things really shifted two years ago and I went to this retreat with, with Joe Dispenza, which is where I had this epiphany, this meditation where I came out of it and went, I saw my marriage in a, I was married, I went there married and really realised that was probably the end of my marriage. It was during that time and since then that I discovered there's nothing, there's nothing to fix, it's stop trying to work it mm. out. Mm. That's not easy all the time, is it? You get pulled back into this. Do you get pulled back into the fixed story sometime? Uh, fixing me, oh, I'm sure I do. Mm. Like I would be lying if I yeah. said that I don't. But more and more, I'm led by I'm led by love. Mm. And and more recently, you've started the Good News Guide, mm. which is well, explain it to us. <laughs> it's. Uh, the Good News Guide is, oh, it's like it brings me so much joy. It's it's a collection. So it, it, it's a show and I really what I wanted was I wanted a show. I didn't know where it was going to end up. It's currently on YouTube. Who knows where it's going. But I had this thing. I stopped watching the news eight years ago and I wanted a different form of news but I didn't know what that meant. And then I did this, I went and did an intuitive course at the start of the year in February and it came through uh, media company conscious media company tv show uh a new a different a different form of news i was like there it is you know when we just these, these things just keep dropping it's like it's on paper i've written it it wasn't from my ego it came through me okay right so plant i only planted the seed in february and then have literally built this show which is bringing together new and no i say new and noteworthy information which is all the information that i've that we don't have access to unless you go down rabbit holes and if unless you do the search yourself and what i'm bringing to my show is not the experts that are known mm. 
because I don't want that. I, because the experts that are known, you don't have access to them except if you want to listen to a podcast. I'm bringing the experts, the thought leaders that I have worked with, that I so anyone that comes onto the show, I've done work with. And because it's very important that my platform has integrity and it is the guide. Like if you want extraordinary meditation teachers, people that deal with um, abundance, you know, issues, love and relationships, parenting, you know that you can come onto my platform and you can then go and work with them if that's something that, you know. So they're resonates. accessible. There's two things there. One yep. is that you've got a lived experience with them mm. personally mm. and the other is that they're accessible to the listener in mm. some form. Mm. Mm. And it's personal development. Is that what you yep. would call it? Yeah. Yep. Or, well, it's a loose term, it's, isn't it? But it's. But then like yesterday as I was saying, I spoke to a guy who, you know, grew up in a poverty-stricken area of LA and so it's also good news as in, yeah. Okay, let's bring to the stage the stuff that actually we can do, we can have conversations about that can change, that actually can change the world. And more recently that you've had quite a focus on the show about touch and sexuality. Mm. At now that's something again that you hear people talking about in sort of a maybe with a superficial touch, pardon mm. the pun. <laughs> um, but tell us what what you've taken away from that conversation. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Well, Tamika, who's my um, sexology expert, I study kinesiology with her. That's how I met her. And she's also worked for Reach Foundation. She's done a hot, like, so she brings, she melds the physical with the body. So she, she melds the mind with the body. And as I'm, I work with her personally as well, is that we can think things, but we actually have to embody it. And so embodying Yes, I know we're talking about sex, but it's actually coming back into the body. It's being present in the body because if we're not present in the body, how can we, when we're with our partners, actually know what it is to receive touch, to receive pleasure, to then know how to communicate? So it's there are so many things. She's extraordinary. She now she is a change maker because she is not afraid to question the status quo of what we think. You know, she talks about. I'm allowed to say the word mm, nah. yeah. masturbation. Mast. Yes. Oh. Yes. Married okay. at first sight. Mads thought you were going to say. <laughs> so she brings the table the fact that. But even the fact that we have to ask can we say the word I masturbation. Know, I'll just I say know. it again. We can say the word masturbation. As in female masturbation. Or any yes, masturbation. Or any. any. But the fact that we are not, I wasn't raised, it wasn't communicated with me, that actually it's something to be enjoyed. It's something that we, when we, when we shut that part of ourselves down, it's actually... We well, are you shut, sexual. You shut down your own gateway to pleasure, basically. If we've been conditioned to say gateway and to heaven, receiving. gateway to heaven, and receiving. absolutely, and in receiving. this seat. But um, <laughs> but 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 that's true because as part of the rite of passage, and I can't speak for women for all time, of course, but I've had this conversation where with men I, I know, uh, you know, who are close, um, they. It was sort of a group thing where uh, when they were going through their teenage years, they would openly talk about masturbation and sometimes would even do it when they were in, you know, together, um, if not with each other. 
But for girls, that was completely taboo. I never had a conversation about it. And, in fact, I reckon I didn't even know I had three holes till I was about 17 <laughs> because it never occurred to me to get a mirror and have a look or, yeah. or to go near myself. Yeah. And I don't know if that's common <laughs> or not. It's so common. But, but it was just not something that was understood to me to be um, that I had an organ that I could self-please, you know, self-pleasure. Or, yeah. Mm, yeah. That was really old language, self-pleasure. Myself. <laughs> but I, you know what I but mean. But I, I really, that's why. I love have a good go is what I meant to say. Yeah, 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 yeah. But what I love about her, her, um, what she brings to the table is that. So one of the things that she talked about in a conversation we had recently, which was about um, remembering or reinventing intimacy, is for women that shut themselves down, especially after having kids, is it doesn't go away. And when you shut that part of yourself down, like that, that actually stops you from receiving all of life. Mm. And at what not, cost, really, you're saying? You shut down that part and then... And it's also our, our sexual energy is our creative energy. It's what we create from. So if we're not if we're not juicing that up, if we're not looking after that, if we're <laughs> is not... Is that a technical term? Juicing, juicing that up. up. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, that's okay. It is kind of that. Well, it is, isn't it? Yes. Um, Juicy. But, but, you know, because there's so much shame around it. You know, I was so ashamed. So... I've had to work through the shame of the fact that, you know, I was really young but it was never, ever talked about. But now what she's getting me, you know, she really encourages the people that she works with and and, and the conversation is, you know, it's like, let's say masturbation, it's like a quick thing. No, 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 no. It's about how can I spend half an hour touching myself, pleasuring myself, putting cream on, like actually receiving mm that from myself yeah, being in your body in order yeah. to then be able to receive that from life and from our partners and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. often women if women have a really big sexual appetite mm-hmm. you know like a super supercharged horny mm-hmm. ass mm-hmm. Like, let's just like keep it accessible the language <laughs> it's not really something that is celebrated where you can have your big jock and your big stud out mm. there going out and you know mm. spreading seed but but for a woman to have a, a fierce sexual appetite and then say I'm actually hungry for this I want to you know express myself then there's something in our gendering that does prevent that and certainly amongst women when you know depends how open that conversation is amongst mm. women if they're prepared to talk about their mm. sexual appetite energy mm. behaviors mm. it's still a bit taboo i think yeah mm. yeah do you think so yes and also i wonder um what relationship we have with that conversation depending on the age and stage of life we're at so if you're single then oh maybe that's appropriate because no one else is doing that for you you know that's the mm. tab- that's the myth. Yes. Yeah. Or if you're um, going through menopause, well, you know you're dry and over it. You're not juicy. You're not juicy. <laughs> <laughs> if you're um, young and married, well, that wouldn't be where you would be going because you would be in a new and youthful relationship. So there is this. There are um, myths that overlay through stage and age of life that I think um, influence and dictate where sexuality is allowed to be explored and expressed, and yeah. that's bullshit. Well, also, if you look at, so I've got teenage, teenage, yeah, which means you worked out how to use one of your holes four times. Yeah, just the four times though. But um, (laughs) we got four kids, so that's good. Um, But uh, (laughs) it's a one for oneing. But part of what they're facing, and I know we've shifted gear into a whole other conversation Mm -hmm. about sexuality, but that the pornification of of young Mm. women and the idea that you bend over and take it, and actually you do subjugate, and you're you're the lesser, you're the submissive, and we need to flip that thing on its head, like mm. get get women and girls, you know, get them back on top mm. um, 
at least some of the time or in their own mind so that they are willing to say, I, I, this is what I want. And often I think that conversation's not not there. It's not how we've been taught. We've been taught to mm. take it, lie down, missionary. Mm. Which is why I think these conversations are great for adults and parents because when we're better educated, when we are able to have these conversations, then that's going to flow through too. But the other thing I just wanted to mention with this guy that I had a conversation with yesterday, he brought up a beautiful point. He's 21 and he said we need to listen to what our kids have to say mm. because what they have has massive merit and they will have kids one day. Mm-hmm. And just because we're at this age, there is wisdom mm. in these kids. wisdom. Oh, so absolutely. to be able to really listen and get what they're experiencing, but also for us to take more responsibility mm. in the conversations and the conversations around this I think is yeah, it's a big, that's a whole other topic, yeah, isn't it, about it is. female, you know, sexuality mm. and all but that. I, but I just raised it as one of the topics that you're that mm. you're giving a lot of airtime to on the Good News Guide and I think it gives good insight into what you're exploring, what you're mm. exposing, the kinds of conversations that you're having that are authentic and deep and not maybe slightly atypical, but why are they? And that's what you're debunking. It's the things unsaid. They are, but also some of them aren't. You know, I think what I'm doing is I'm just following what I would call the breadcrumbs, whatever is a yes for me. So there's no specific, there's no... There's no formula. There's no formula. Mm. I'm following what brings me joy and Mm -hmm. what is just... If somebody gets presented, like this guy, Avion, who's about to release this, I'm like, yes, I want to connect and wow, what a conversation. And who knows... Who knows will who will listen? Who mm-hmm. knows who might then support him? And yes, I, I don't really need to. I don't need to know. Yeah, you're so, following stories. It sounds like yeah, you're sort of letting people, letting your heart lead you toward I the am. stories. Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah. So we've talked a lot today about um, the power of narratives and how attached we become to them and how often they're so unhelpful. How do you see your relationship with any story or narrative now? So I'm really conscious of the story that I want to create for my life. And I have a very clear vision of what that story is covering all my areas, so from relationship to my family, to my purpose, to contribution, to fun and passion and adventure in life. And so that's the story I'm committed to now. Mm-hmm. And I, I live into that every single day through my morning. Part of my morning practice is to visualise being in that story mm-hmm. as if it is already being experienced Mm. um, and it's powerful. And your story is unfolding and unfurling as ours every minute. Every day. Who knows what the next chapter is. Lisa, we like to end all of our chats asking people, acknowledging life can be a big mess of spaghetti and that no one really knows what's going on most of the time and it can take all its twists and turns and we have multiple iterations of self as we've talked about today. Who do you think is doing human well? When you think about all the humans out there, who do you think is doing human well? I had this, I knew you were going to ask me this question because I've listened to your podcast and I thought that is such a hard question because I could reel off that many people that I'm in conversation with who are doing human Hmm. well. The guy yesterday, Avion, he's doing human. He is like I'm inspired. Tamika Wilder, Hmm. my sexology expert and friend, Wow, now she's doing human well. The present mummy you talked about, Yumi. All my experts, they are doing human well because they are committed to 
being authentic, they're committed to being their true essence. There's so many. All my experts on the Good News Guide, plus the people I'm in conversation with. But if you wanted somebody who was well-known, I love Glennon Doyle. Mm. Um, she does human well. Mm. We don't need someone who's well-known. And I love that you've got so many that you don't know where to start. That's mm. a great reflection. What a great state of being in the world. But really what that reflects is how you see the world. I love, we've talked about this, Bina, I love humans. I love humans. And I'm blown away by the humans mm. that I'm in connection with yeah. every day. I hear you. Yeah, we love you. Thank you for joining us today I on Human it. Cogs. Thank yeah, you. Thanks for chatting. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Human Cogs. We know that being human is pretty messy for the best of us and we really hope these conversations challenge what you think you know about yourself and maybe some others in your orbit. And you know, Mads, as a psychologist, I know I'm having a good day at work when people say to me, Sabina, I've never thought about it that way before. That's what we hope your experience will be listening to Human Cogs. So if you want to find out more about other episodes or about this episode, jump on our website at humancogs.com. 